0: Well, good morning. Well, we are, as I said just a moment ago, going to wrap up our series here in the book of Colossians. And yes, we are preaching through this kind of ending of a book, this long list of names. I don't know how many of you have heard a sermon on like the conclusion to a book before, but you're going to get one this morning. And I think there are some deeply profound truths that the Lord has for us through through the way that Paul kind of closes out his letter to the Colossian church. So the title of the message today is simply in closing. So let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help in the next few minutes. Lord, we need you. Lord, those are not just words we say. Those are deep realities. Those are confessions of our heart. And I pray that today in your grace, in your mercy, in your power, you would draw near to your people. Would you change us by your word? Would you give spirit-empowered umph to the words that I say. Lord, hide me behind the cross of Jesus. May your spirit do what he alone can do. We just cry out to you for mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What do the following phrases have in common? Ready? See when you get it. Kind regards. Cordially. Warmly. Thanks affectionately. Sincerely yours. Yours truly. What are all of those? Yeah, they're closings. The way you would close out a letter. And knowing the best way to end a letter is sometimes a bit of a challenge. Is it not? Have you ever been in that situation where you're not exactly sure how to close out a letter? I have one of those instances that was very important. This this was under my bed at home. (sighs) dust to prove it. And this is a box filled with letters that Tricia and I wrote to one another while we were kind of figuring out what our relationship was, right? And I remember that fateful day when I was sitting at my desk in my office thinking about the signing of the letter. You know what I'm talking about, those of you that are in the relationship or have moved beyond that point. That day when you would write the big four-letter word at the end of the letter, L-O-V-E. Up, up to that point, it's like your friend. You know, you get a little bit closer. You're like... With all my heart. Things like this where you're, you're ducking and sticking and you don't know what to do. And then finally I got to the day and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm like, all right, just write it. Love. Sign, fold. Eww, panic, right? <laughs> then I wait and as was our tradition at this stage in our relationship, Trisha would like, I, I, I worked at the college there and she would come in and she would like on my desk, she'd grab something there was a letter, there was a note for her. And then sometime throughout the day when I was in class or something like that, I'd come back and usually she would leave something there. I think on that particular day, she was a little delayed. So I was a little nervous. Um, But then finally I came back and I remember, you know, like tearing open the letter, looking down and and kind of like scanning to the bottom and seeing what you, this is so junior high, right? Like (laughs) scanning down to the bottom and there it was, love, Trisha. I may or may have not done a little shoulder shimmy at the time. I don't know. But the idea simply is this, right? How you close a letter can be important. It can be important the way that you round out what you have said up to that point. It flavors everything that goes before it in one sense. This was not an idea that was missed on the Apostle Paul. As he closes out this letter to the Colossians, he takes one final moment, one last shot at reminding these dear believers of a few things that he simply doesn't want them to forget. I kind of imagine Paul, like a parent, dropping off their college student. We had this happen in our church. We, we just had a, a few students go away to college for the first time. Freshman year, they're leaving. And you can imagine, here's Carrie, one of the mothers, who just dropped off her daughter at college, leaving the dorm room and kind of rattling off a few things as she's going out the door. She's saying, Doria, do your best in class. Uh, uh, there's clean sheets in the drawer. Um, we love you so much. And don't forget we're proud of you. So the things that are important to Carrie are loving her daughter, pride in her daughter, and clean sheets. That's really important to her, right? I think that's kind of Paul's mindset here. He's like, guys, I want to remind you of just a few things. Don't forget these things. As I wrap up this letter, here's a few things that I don't want you to forget. And in this moment, as Paul pins the end of Colossians, and the Bible says with his own hand, he writes it in his own hand, we're getting a glimpse of things that deeply matter to him. A few things that he just has to get off his chest. A few things he wants to be crystal clear before he says goodbye to this group of believers. This is unquestionably what the book of Colossians, the ending of the book of Colossians does. For as Paul bids farewell to these believers, he reminds them of some of his deepest priorities. The things that matter a lot to him. In essence, Paul once again is calling them to make Christ over all. And if Christ is over all, then he affects the things that matter most to you. Or to put it very simply, when Christ enters your life, he alters your priorities. When Christ enters your life, he changes the things that matter to you. You cannot say that Christ is over all and it does not affect the way in which you live. It just, that simply doesn't make any sense. If Christ is overall, he changes your priorities. This was true for Paul and it should be true for us as well, which leads me to my point this morning is simply this. Our priorities must be transformed by Christ. That's where we're going. If Christ is overall in your life, it means that your priorities will be different than they used to be. So what does that look like? What, what does it mean for a person to make Christ over all in their priorities? In, in other words, what does a real believer prioritize? If you're a follower of Jesus, what should be the things that matter most deeply for you? Fortunately, we don't have to speculate. Because right here in this text, I think we see the things that matter most deeply to Paul. He can't help but, in one sense, show his hand. Put yourself in Paul's position for just a moment. You've written this letter to the Colossians, and you just want to share with them a few more things. What are the things you're going to say? They're going to be the things that really are important to you. They're going to be the things that deeply matter to you. Oh, 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 and I got to get this down. Oh, 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 and I don't want you to forget this. Oh, 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 and keep this in the forefront of your mind. And he jots these final words down to say, look, Christ must be over all in your mind priorities. So what does that look like? We're just going to share three of them this morning. Three Christ-shaped priorities. In other words, if Christ is overall in your life, these three things should matter deeply to you, okay? If Christ is overall in your life, these three things should matter extremely deeply to you. Number one, reliance on God's power, first thing we notice is that Paul is marked by a deep sense of reliance on God, both for himself and for the Colossians. Look at verse number two. Everybody look there. Very simple little phrase, but it's very important. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Remember, The Colossians are not only being assaulted from within by false teachers, but they're also living in a culture that is overtly hostile to Christianity. In light of this, Paul is reminding the Colossians that they must stay connected to the Lord through prayer. They're being attacked from without, and they're being attacked from within. And Paul is saying, so because of that, devote yourself to prayer. The word devote here, it, it simply carries the idea of persistence. Or diligence. In other words, the Colossians' lives were to be characterized by a marked reliance on God. They were to pray, and they were to keep on praying, and keep on praying, and be diligent in it. So I have a five-year-old right now, Felicity. Felicity is unapologetically dependent. Or if you want to put it in the vernacular, she is unapologetically needy. She don't care. She don't care. When she is upset, she comes running to mom and dad to fix it, and she expects us to fix it right there. And she doesn't care if she asks or not or if we're busy or whatever. She's needy. She stubs her toes. She wants a Band-Aid, and she wants it yesterday, and she's going to ask mom and dad to get it for her, even if, like, my head is in the trunk of the car or I'm underneath the car or I'm working. It doesn't matter. I'm needy. I need you right now. If she's hungry, when does she want food? An hour ago. If she's angry, who's supposed to step into the situation? You are, mom and dad. And there's just this kind of like level of expectation. I am Felicity. Hear me roar. I need you. And we don't berate little children for being that way, right? That's just the way they are. They are wired needy. And if anybody's more needy than Felicity, her name is Lila. I mean, this girl don't even ask. She just screams. What, she thinks she is a baby or something? Yeah, she is. She's eight months old, okay? The idea is that children understand this idea of neediness, dependency. And I believe this is the disposition that our Heavenly Father wants us to have towards Him. He doesn't call us children for nothing. I think that's the primary point of the metaphor of children in the Bible, that we are needy. We're dependent. We're reliant. In fact, Jesus himself said it this way. Matthew chapter 18, verse number three. Truly, I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus and Paul are simply calling us to recognize the reality. We need God. Can you say that? We need God. Do you believe it? We need God. We need him every moment. We are reliant. We are dependent. Friends, you cannot do anything, anything apart from the Lord. You cannot minister to others apart from the Lord. Maybe that's obvious to you. Well, obviously, I can't minister to others apart from the Lord. Okay. You cannot be the spouse or parent or child or family member or Or anything, any relationship that God wants you to be apart from the Lord. You say, okay, well, that's obvious too. You cannot be the employee or employer that God wants you to be apart from the Lord. Maybe that's less obvious. Listen, brothers and sisters, you cannot even take your next breath apart from the Lord. We need God. Like, that right there is, it's grace. I can't keep my heart beating. It just does. Because the Lord in his sovereignty keeps his hand on the wheel of the universe. He allows things to keep going. My atoms stay together because Christ deems it necessary to do so. We are, are dependent. Listen to this statement. Here is the reality. Let's get ourselves out of dream world and snap back to reality. It is simply this. We are always reliant on God. Sometimes we're just more aware of it than others. There has never been a moment in your existence when you did not need God. I have been wholly dependent on the Lord from the day that I was born and I will be dependent on the Lord from the day I died and beyond that. I need to devote myself to prayer. Persist in it. Consist in it. Stay after it. Keep praying to remind myself of what Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse number 5. You can do nothing without me. Prayer is... It's simply a reminder of what's really true. I'm a needy, broken, dependent person. God is God. I am not. The only person that has never had a need in the universe is God. He is independent. We are dependent. God's never lacked. He's never been short on anything, and yet we can't control anything about ourselves. Look, prayer is not a demonstration of our devotion but a declaration of our dependence. You get that statement? Sometimes we think we're super spiritual because we pray. No, prayer is just declaring what's reality. I need you. Lord, I need you today. I can't do this thing called life without your intervention, without your power. So here's why I think this is particularly important for gospel hope. Why do we need to hear this morning that we are dependent, that we are reliant on God's power? Man, in God's grace, in our short two and a half year existence together, God has been kind to us, has He not? Amen. Amen. We've seen lives impacted, we've seen people engaged in mission, we've seen some really wonderful answers to prayer, we've seen a unique sense of community. God has been so kind to us. We are grateful for what he's done. When God does things like that, there's a temptation for us to act as if we don't need him. We got a cool band. We got a nice branding, even nice t-shirts, right? We got a black and white pastor. If that doesn't solve everything, then I don't know what will. And all of a sudden, we get dependent on the wrong things. And we start doing business as usual. Just roll up Jalen and the crew in there, and if you build it, people will come. Have Rod and Ryan do their black and white thing, and people will come. We'll continue to attract diverse people. The church will continue to grow. But, brothers and sisters, we need God. I am not against cool bands. I'm not against nice t-shirts. I'm certainly not against black and white pastors. But I am against a mindset that all of a sudden thinks that we have arrived and we don't need God. Here's Paul who's saying, guys, don't forget this. You're reliant on the Lord's power. You are dependent. You are needy. Never forget the reality that you need God. Let's say it one more time again. We need God. Or to put it very simply, God's children never outgrow their need for the Heavenly Father. Never. There will never be a time in our life where we don't need God. So, gospel hope, let's be a people that leverage all that we've got for Christ's kingdom. Let's work hard. Let's be creative. Let's serve. Let's give. Let's go. But in all that we do, let's pray. Let's devote ourselves to prayer, happily affirming the reality that what we need, God. So that's the first thing that was Paul's priority, a dependence, a reliance on God's power. Number two, Paul not only had a reliance on God's power, but he had a commitment to God's mission. Look at verse three. At the same time, so after he says, devote yourself to prayer, he then kind of turns the tables and he says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door for us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. So in calling the Colossians to pray, Paul specifically asked the Colossians to pray that God would give him an open door to share the gospel. Well, that seems like a very apostolic thing to do. I mean, that's what apostles do, right? They want to share the gospel, but I want you to notice Another detail. Look at verse 3 again. Pray for us also that God may open a door for us for the word to speak the mystery for Christ. Look at this phrase for which I am in. What's the word? What's the word? So that I may make it known as I should. Paul makes this particular request from prison. This is astounding. There's Paul, imprisoned for preaching the gospel, and he doesn't ask the Colossians to pray for his freedom. Devote yourself to prayer. Also pray that I get out of jail. No, devote yourself to prayer and also pray for me that I would have open doors to share the gospel, that I might make it known as I should. He asked them to pray for opportunities. If Paul is willing to pray that way, what does that show about his priorities? Doesn't it reveal something that's deeply important to him? He is more committed to God's mission than his own personal comfort. He is more committed to seeing the gospel go forward than his life being easy. He is deeply committed to seeing the gospel proclaimed. And then Paul did not believe this was just for him, in fact. He, in fact, kind of pushes it further and says to the Colossians, and by the way, you should be burdened about this too. Verse number five, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person's. In other words, if I could summarize this idea, we should do as much as possible so that Christ can be known by as many as possible. We should do as much as possible so that Christ can be known by as many as possible. This was the consistent theme of the Apostle Paul's life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. I am compelled to preach, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now, I do all of this because of the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 15, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. What does it matter? Only in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul was a man obsessed with God's mission. Let me say it very plainly. Gospel proclamation should be our highest aspiration. (laughs) Gospel proclamation should be our highest aspiration. Look, this is deeply convicting to me. I can get so distracted from the primary mission to which the Lord has called us. Not necessarily by evil things, and I'm not getting out. I'm not going out on the weekends and getting hammered. I'm not hitting the clubs at late at night. But I can be distracted from the most important things. By good things. Look, brothers and sisters, the enemy of the best is often the good. We can often let good things crowd out our ambition for the main thing the most important thing. Let me give you a little illustration of that. Let's have have Carrie come up here. Carrie, come on up here. Okay, very simply, Carrie, I would like you to get Odara's address from him and then tell it to the rest of us. So Odara, could you stand up and tell, um, tell Carrie your address and then Carrie, you report that to the rest of us. Go ahead, Odara. Drive, okay, do better, Carrie, do better. What is it? Okay, is that right? Okay, so not too bad, right? That was the simple mission. Don't go anywhere, Carrie. That was the simple mission. You can sit down, Odara. Simple mission that we gave Carrie, right? It's Fairly straightforward. She was able to complete that without too much work. But now this time, Brady, could you stand up? Okay, now I want you to do the same thing with Brady, but y'all, you ever seen an NBA game when somebody's shooting a free throw? Okay, I want you to do that. Okay, so Kerry is the free throw shooter, Brady is the basket, you folks are the fans in the crowds, begin, go. Now Kerry, complete your mission. Right, Right, okay, all right, all right. Okay, one more time. Crowd. Okay, well, he said it very clearly. Carrie, what's the problem? I can't hear him. Why? Because the crowd is making so much noise. Okay, the crowd is making so much noise. Okay, thank you, guys. Thank you. Very good. The illustration is simple, is it not? We have one mission. Make disciples. And yet, is it very easy for the world to distract us? Yes or no? Not necessarily with bad things. But we can be distracted from what God has called us to do and what is so encouraging by the Apostle Paul. Did he have reason for distraction? The brother is in prison. And yet he keeps his eyes on the prize. He keeps going forward to God's mission. I am put on this earth to make disciples and no matter what else is going on, I've got to remain focused. I think what the Apostle Paul is urging us to do is simply to keep the main thing, the main thing. Don't lose sight of why God has put you on this earth. Glorify him by making disciples in the world. Never lose sight of his mission. Now let me ask you a couple of questions. These are not meant to make you feel bad. I'm not just asking these questions to make you feel bad but I am asking them to help us really evaluate where we're at. I need to hear these questions and I would contend or I would think that many of us need to hear these exact two questions. Here are what they are, two questions. When was the last time I personally shared Christ with someone else? If we're about making disciples, it shouldn't be that long. When was the last time, not that you came to a church service, not that you invited someone, that's great, that's great, but when was the last time you opened your mouth and the gospel came out? Or at least you tried. When was the last time? If the answer is quite a while, then perhaps we're not as committed to God's mission as we like to think we are. Second question is this, in light of Paul's call to prayer, Listen very carefully to this one. If God answered every single one of my prayers, every one of them, he answered them all, would his kingdom be significantly expanded? If every single prayer you ever prayed got answered, would it really make a difference? And if the answer is no, then what does it say? maybe we're not as deeply committed to God's mission as we want to think we are. Because if we're committed to God's mission, it's gonna show up in the way that we pray. We're not just gonna be praying for our great auntie that she get better. Now, is it wrong to pray for her? Yes or no? You should pray for her. Pray for her. But underneath all of those kind of circumstantial prayers, there should just be this burning desire, Lord, Lord. Let your name be known in the world and save my coworker and use me to do it and save my, my cousin and use me to do it and help me to talk to the person at the grocery store. Lord, deliver me from the stinking fear and help me not to be distracted by all the good things in my life so that I would be consumed with the best thing in life, namely making disciples for the sake of your name. That is what drove Paul even when he was sitting in prison. And as he's closing out, he can't help but let that spill out because it drove him. Third thing is simply this. Paul showed a reliance on God's power, a commitment to God's mission. And number three, he was a priority in his life was the encouragement of God's people. The very last paragraph in the book of Colossians reveals that Paul placed a great priority on the encouragement of the body of Christ. We read it a few moments ago. And did you notice it's like a veritable laundry list of names? I mean, there's this huge list of names. You, you get Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and Mark and Justus and Epaphras and Luke and Demas and Nympha and Archippus. I mean, he just kind of rattles off all these names of people. And did you also catch that there's like some deeply personal details in there? Like Paul seems to like genuinely love and care about these people. I love that last phrase there There when, he, when he's talking to Archippus. It, it's almost like he's taking this brother aside and he's like, man, I know you're struggling, but listen, pay attention to the ministry you've received in the Lord. I know you're discouraged. I know you're filled with self-doubt. Pay attention to it um, so that, I'm sorry, you have received from the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I mean, he's just so like pastoral here. He's just loving on these brothers and sisters. But here's the thing. We know little to nothing about the vast majority of people listed here. I mean, just little to nothing. Some of them are only mentioned here in the whole Bible. That's all we got. All we got is a name. And yet, in spite of that fact that you and I do not know much about Archippus, Paul knew him well, and he took time to encourage him. Why? Why? We don't know Archippus, but why did Paul, in writing the Bible, for Pete's sakes, take time to encourage this brother named Archippus, who we know nothing about? I think the answer is simply this. Paul knew that Christianity is a team sport. He knew it. He knew it. Paul's ministry was never Paul's ministry. Does that make sense, that statement? Paul's ministry was always a team effort. He linked arms with other believers to spread the gospel and strengthen the churches. Paul made it a priority to live in community. As far as we know, Paul never made it to the city of Colossae. And yet the gospel was thriving there because there was this group of unknown believers faithfully serving the Lord in obscurity, as it were. This group of people who never would have made any A list or celebrity billboard. They're just these Christians doing Christian things, faithfully serving the Lord. Listen to this statement, Gospel Hope. This brings me deep encouragement. You do not need to be well known to make Jesus known well. I'm not that cool. I'm not that good of a preacher. I'm not that great of a leader. If you just take those things at face value, it can be discouraging. Never be, you, you'll probably never see your pastors on some sort of celebrity conference circuit, okay? And yet I can be used. Nobody outside of your sphere of influence may ever know who you are, but you can be used by God in significant ways. May God fill gospel hope with Archippuses and Aristarchuses, although that would be really long on stationary, and Nymphas. May God fill gospel hope with ordinary people who God uses to do extraordinary things. Here's the other kicker in this list, though. Did you notice there are two names that you do know? Did you catch what they are? Who's got them? Luke and Mark, this is awesome, it's awesome. Do Luke and Mark appear in bold in here, yes or no? Underlined, circled, highlighted, in any way noted other than the names are really short. No, they're just some people that were laboring along with Paul, working, linking arms, doing gospel ministry, and God in his grace used these two brothers to write a huge chunk of the New Testament the gospel of mark luke and acts i mean i think that's like more than half in terms of like actual content it is a humongous amount of the new testament that god used these kind of unknown brothers to write that's amazing Sometimes God uses ordinary people to do things that they themselves can't even think of. I mean, maybe Archippus was more talented than Mark. Maybe Aristarchus was more godly than Luke. Maybe Nympha was the best one of them all. We don't know, but God in his sovereignty, God in his provinces, sometimes uses our ordinary acts. Well, looks like, I'm going to write some of this stuff down. And we're reading it today. The Lord is phenomenal in taking ordinary people and accomplishing extraordinary things. The point is this God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. So don't strive to be famous, don't strive to be great. Just strive to be faithful and let God take care of the results. Work hard pray hard, and let the Lord do what he's going to do in and through us. So where does the Lord, where does it all leave us? How do we bring our priorities under the Lordship of Christ? How do we live in such a way that people look at our lives and say, oh yeah, Christ really is overall in their lives. How do we live and make reliance on God's power and commitment to God's mission and the encouragement of God's people, real priorities in our life. Here's the good news. Jesus himself has already done the heavy lifting for us. Let me explain what I mean by that. This will take a minute, but I promise you I will get there at the end. At Gospel Hope, uh, our mission is simply this. It is to make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. Um, I think we got a slide on that. Very good. Or to put it in terms of today's message, we believe that a follower of Christ should be growing in three relationships. One, right? One, they should be growing in their relationship with God, or as Paul puts it, reliance on God's power. They should be growing in their relationship with other believers inward, or as Paul put it, they should be committed to the encouragement of God's people. And they should have a growing relationship with the world, meaning they're taking the gospel there. Or as we said it today, they should have a commitment to God's mission. A healthy believer, a healthy follower of Jesus has a, is, has a growing upward relationship, inward relationship, and outward relationship. But here's the thing. When Christ saves us, he not only gives us a list of new priorities. He not only says, hey, be about these things. But he also gives us a series of new identities which enable us to live out these priorities. Look, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become God's child. Which means automatically you are now dependent on the Lord. When you become a follower of Jesus, you instantaneously become a part of God's body. The body of Christ, which means you all of a sudden are, are deeply concerned about what happens to other Christians because you're members of, one God, of, of God's body. When you become a follower of Christ, you instantaneously become an ambassador of the most high God. And therefore, you are now called by him and sent by him to take his message out into the world. You've been entrusted with his word, and now you have the ministry of reconciliation. So where does this all lead us? It simply means this, embrace who you are, brothers and sisters embrace who you are. If you begin to deeply believe that you are a child of God, will you begin to grow independence? Yes or no? Yes. If you begin to deeply believe that you are a member of Christ's body, will you be concerned about the other folks in this room? Yes or no? And if you begin to believe that you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, will those co-workers, will those friends, will those neighbors be people that desperately need to hear the gospel from you? Yes. The idea is simply this. It is Who you are drives what you do. Who you are drives what you do. So I don't want to simply just give you a list of things that you should do. I want to say to you as simply and as plainly as I can, Christ died to make you someone you didn't used to be. Be what you are. And your priorities will be transformed. Be what you are. Child of God. Pray. Member of Christ's body, care. Ambassador of Jesus Christ, proclaim. Embrace who you are and that will change what you do. Amen? And I'm so thankful as the worship team comes. I'm so thankful that we don't have to like work up these strategies in and of ourselves. But rather we need to deeply trust in what Christ has done on our behalf. I am not who I once was. I'm a child of the King. Therefore, prayer should be like breathing to me. These people are not like my family. They are my family. So I should care deeply about them. I should be able to pen the end of Colossians to this church right here. Care deeply about these folks. I'm a sent one. I'm an ambassador of Jesus. And so that person in line at Chipotle should expect should expect to hear the gospel from me because I'm about the king's business. That's what I'm sent here to do. That is who I am. It's not simply a function of what I do. So as I reflected on this, I'm like, well, how do we, what's a practical takeaway? What's one thing that that we can do? And as the worship team leads us in song, I'm gonna ask us with, with this one thing. Will you devote yourself to prayer? This is the text says, devote yourself to prayer and begin to say, Lord, help me to embrace who I am because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help me to live in light of that reality. Help me to know who I am and that to drive what I do. I need to know more deeply that I am a beloved child, that I am a member of the body, that I am an ambassador. Lord, give me faith to believe those things and let that color my days and my weeks and my years. And may I be about making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to make you overall. You are overall. Help us to live in light of that reality. Lord, would you do a work in our hearts right now? Would you help us?